Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. So welcome to 12 Stone here across the campuses at 12 Stone Homes. So glad that you're with us. And we got a little celebrating to do off the top. Maybe at the camps as you heard some local stories. But last weekend, we were able to see Jesus rescue 250 people from death to life. Can we celebrate what Jesus is doing? Praise the Lord. And in great part, that's why we're here, is the songs we just sung that lead Christ be magnified. Our only hope is Jesus in this broken and fallen world. The only hope we have is Jesus. And so we celebrate with those of you who are jumping in. Next weekend is going to be baptism weekend. We hope to see dozens and dozens of baptisms across the campuses and across the church. It's going to be a great weekend to be here. But here's the reality. Easter can sometimes feel like an event. But what Easter's supposed to do is it's supposed to fuel a journey, like a journey of faith, of walking this out, this journey of faith out. It's not just a one weekend a year thing. It's how we walk it out. And the reality is I want to start with a question that I think we've all sort of asked before. Here it is. How do you find peace? Have you ever lacked peace? You know what the feeling's like when you lack peace? The angst in your chest, like you lay in bed at night and can't sleep. When you lack peace, life is complicated. Maybe you're a college student, you're trying to finish up your, your semester right now, and you've got finals coming and studying, and you're like, I lack peace. Maybe you're parenting kids, and they're in the terrible twos, or terrible threes, or terrible fours, or terrible fourteens. I don't know where it is. And you're like, man, I want peace. See, maybe, maybe one of your kids is struggling in school. Maybe your business is holding on by a thread and you're trying to find people that would work and it's just complicated. You lay in bed at night and the, 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 the lack of peace is like a, a pressure on your chest. Your, your schedule maybe is crazy and you're doing travel ball and you got chorus concerts. At the end of the year, it feels like every weekend there's something to do and you look at your calendar and you're like, I just want peace. We all want peace. And sadly, we look to other things to find peace. You grab a bottle and go, for at least an hour, I'll, I'll have a little peace. You turn to sleeping pills, or you, you run out and you hide, just escape from everything, and you're looking for peace. But the reality is those things never last. And I, I've talked to a lot of people that when you're in that season, this is what you do. You sort of go, okay, God, I'm going to open the Bible and would you just give me, this is how we used to say it, give me a word, Lord. And you point. And you're like, God, what do you have to say to me? Maybe you stumble upon a verse like this. And you're like, is this what you have for me, God? Here's a verse, maybe. Here's the verse. Let beer be for those who are perishing. Wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty. Remember their, their misery no more. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I, I, God, I don't think you're reading the room right now. Maybe you just go, okay, that one wasn't right. You, you flip over. You're in a season of parenting. And maybe you have a verse like this. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. God, I have a toddler. I've seen that scene at bath time. That doesn't help me. You're like, God, I'm looking for, like, I need to know, what, how do I find peace? And if you've ever been in a season like that, you've probably found yourself in one of the most famous psalms of all time, Psalm 23. And whether you, whether you grew up in the church or whether you've sort of been at a distance, if you've ever been to a funeral, 
You ever been in a hospital room? Psalm 23 is sort of the go-to for peace. It just sounds peaceful, doesn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And you read through Psalm 23, you're like, it just oozes peace, doesn't it? It just feels so good. I can't tell you the amount of times as a young pastor when I stepped into a complicated situation and I didn't know what to do or what to say. A hospital room, a living room, a complicated situation. What's my go-to? I don't know what to say. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. And I watched the room go, thank you, pastor. That was just beautiful. I'm like, thank you, God. I needed Psalm 23 in that moment. I didn't know what to say. But what you're going to discover, listen, is Psalm 23 was not a psalm that King David wrote that was like rainbows and butterflies. Like, God, this is great. This was a psalm that had to be resolved in King David over a lifetime. See, he, he was a shepherd, and there's lots of imagery of being a shepherd, but that psalm was not written when David was a young boy in the fields with no pressure in life. I'm just in the fields playing my harp and there's sheep. This was written at the end of his life when things had gotten very complicated. See, Psalm 23 is a psalm of resolve in the life of David at the end of his life. See, I hear people say, listen, I just want to find my peace. I, got, I just need, give me just a mental health day to go find my peace. Like you, you hear that statement, I want to find my peace. King David would say, listen, peace is not found. Peace is formed over a lifetime of deciding what you will make peace with. See, oftentimes your peace or lack thereof comes as a result of choices you and I have made about what we will make peace with. And so today, we're going we're gonna to end back in Psalm 23, but we're going to understand a lot more of where this psalm came from by the time we get there. And potentially today, the Spirit of God might say, there are places that you've made peace that are causing you a lack of peace. And I want to invite you into a life of peace, but the choices you make can contribute to it. And so if you remember, we were in this Jesus Storybook Bible series. We're walking through the Jesus Storybook Bible together. And by the way, on the way out today to campus, if you've never received a Jesus Storybook Bible, grab one. They're on us. We'd love to give it to you. 12 Stone Home, go on Amazon, order one. Get your last six-week devotional that you're going to do as a family this week. And we're going to be looking at the life of King David, and we're going to major in Psalm 23 as a family in devotions this week. But here's, here's how the Jesus Storybook Bible sort of starts this whole thing off. David was a shepherd, but when God looked at him, he saw a king. Sure enough, when David grew up, that's just what he became. And David was a great king. He had a heart like God's heart, full of love. Now, that didn't mean he was perfect, because he did some terrible things. He even murdered a man. Psalm 23 author, murdered a man. Doesn't sound very Psalm 23 to me, does it? I don't see. Anyway, no, David made a big mess of his life. But God can take even the biggest mess and make it work in his plan. Amen? Thank you, Lord. I need a new heart, Lord, David prayed, because mine is full of sin. Make me clean inside. See, this just alludes. It's a Jesus storybook Bible, so they can't go into the details of what David's life looked like. But listen to me. David's life was a mess. And that should make somebody feel real good right now. <laughs> You're like, it's looking in the mirror. My life can be a mess sometimes. And, and for the guy who wrote Psalm 23, if you read his biography, it doesn't look like Psalm 23 a lot. 
There's a lot of complicated, pressure-filled, violent seasons of his life, and yet he got back to peace. And we're going to take a look. And listen, there's two decisions, two choices in David's life where he made peace with something. One ended, ended with more peace, and one ended with a way less peace. And we're going to learn through the life of David. And here's the gift we have of Scripture. We have the ability to, to actually look at how decisions play out in people's lives. Like for us, we make a decision today, and sometimes it's five and ten years later, you look back and go, oh, in the life of David, we get to look in one minute, we see the decision and see how it plays out. It's a beautiful gift of scripture, and we get to learn from how David's decisions played out. So let me catch us all up. If you were here the week before Easter, we, we learned about David and Goliath. Famous story in scripture. David was a shepherd boy. There, the Israelites were at war with the Philistines. There's this big giant that came out, made fun of him every day. David showed up as a little boy and said, I'll take him. Slingshot, zip, knocks him down. Yay! The whole nation of Israel celebrated David. And David was anointed to be the next king, but he wasn't king yet. So he's in this waiting season of his life. The problem is, David became the man in Israel before he ever became king. And so the current king doesn't like David because David's more popular than he is. This is not a good scenario. In fact, King Saul hated David to the point where he is chasing David down, trying to kill him. That's a bad day for anybody. If the king wants you dead, that's a bad day. And that's where our story picks up. And David's about to make a choice that he didn't realize is going to set the trajectory for the rest of his life. And here's where we pick up. King Saul is chasing David and he wants to kill him. And we find ourselves in our first scripture today. So let's throw that up there. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all over Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. 3,000 men to kill a little boy. If you're David, that's bad news. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. What does that mean in the Hebrew? Exactly what you think it means. He's hitting the pit stop on the road trip, right? And if you know, I don't want to get weird. It's a real, it, you are very vulnerable when you're relieving yourself, right? You can't defend yourself. Let's just leave it there. So that's what Saul's going to do. He's vulnerable. And guess what? David and his men were far back in the cave. David just happened to be hiding out in the same cave that Saul showed up by himself, left the army outside. The second thing that's true about the relieving yourself is you, you do it alone. Like, you guys stay out there. I'll be in here. He's vulnerable. David's there. This looks like a weird God moment. And here's what happened. David's men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Doesn't it look like that? Tell me, you're David. This evil dude's chasing you down, wants to kill you. Then he's relieving himself in the very cave you're hiding in. No one around to protect him. David could take a sword out and in one moment become the next king. Doesn't that look like God ordained that moment? Here's the thing. He did, but not for the reason you and I think. Here's what happens. So David crept up unnoticed, cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward... David would, was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. 
the Lord's anointed or lay my hand on him. That's not the way that God wants this to play out. For he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. This was a forming moment for David because it looked so tempting. In one moment, David could have solved all the problems he had in his life. The king wants me dead. I'm supposed to be the next king. I'm one dude dying away from all that being done. I could solve all the problems that I have. I could just, I, I want it done now. I'm tired of waiting. And then David said, no. And he, here's what he did. He walked out of the cave and here's what he said. See my father talking to Saul. Look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. What's David saying? Listen, I am trusting God to judge between you and me. I'm not going to put my finger on the scale by taking what's not mine now. See, what did David do? He made peace with God's timing. Listen, in that moment, David had made peace with God's timing. Going, God, I, I want it now. I'm sick of the waiting that I'm in. But God, I'm just, at this moment, I'm bowing and saying, I trust your timing for my life. And David could not have known how forming that decision would be for the rest of his life. You know how we make decisions today, and sometimes it takes months and years and decades for them to play out and us to know, how did that really play out? For David, he had no idea in that moment. But David had a sense in his soul that, listen, if I strike down Saul, I just put myself in a fight against God. Isn't that a terrifying thought? You, you listen, you can either make peace with God's timing or you can battle God's timing. And I'm going to tell you this. You will never experience peace in this life if you are battling the God of the universe. And many of the places that we feel a lack of peace is because we've not made peace with God's timing. And this was not a passive move for David. Like, I'm just going to sit here and wait, God, whatever you want. No, this was a resolved decision that I'm going to make peace with God's timing. And we are faced with this same temptation all the time. Man, I want, that, I want that promotion at my job now. I'm tired of waiting. I want to take it myself. And I don't know ways to, to put myself in positions to get that, even if it's not God's time. I, I want to force a dating relationship because I'm tired of being single. Listen, if you're single, listen to me. If you force a dating relationship and don't make peace with God's timing, you might have peace for a minute, but you're stuck in a lifetime of the battle and the lack of peace because you forced something that wasn't yours to force. You cheat the financial process. I want the house. I'm still in my starter home and I want, I want the next bedroom in the, the backyard. I want that now and I'm not right financially, but I want to force my timing in that. Listen, if you lack peace, sometimes it's because you forced your hand in God's timing. And listen, if David had forced himself onto the throne in that moment, he would have been responsible to fight to keep himself on that throne for the rest of his life. Don't miss this. If he would have forced himself there, let me say it this way. Anything you force to get, you have to fight to keep. That's a scary thought. 
Here's the picture God gave me. I'm trying to like, what's the picture of that? Anything you force to get, it's now on you to fight to keep. You ever like canoed? Anybody had a canoe or a kayak? Lots of outdoorsmen here. Wow, REI. Woo! I had a kayak or a canoe for like two years as a kid. My dad would take my brother and I out on the Hudson River up in New York where we grew up. And let me just, let me say it this way. A river has a flow to it, doesn't it? Like it goes from one side to the, it moves a certain direction. There was an island we used to paddle out to, and the way out, we were with the current. And you felt like Hercules. You're like, shoom, and you just go. And you're like, look at us. We're outdoorsmen, Lewis and Clark. Then it's the, the, the sun started to go down. All right, it's time to go home. Problem is, when you go with the current out, you're against the current coming back. And suddenly, you go from looking like Hercules to like, I'm going to die. This is it, Lord. I'm dying. And you, it's 10 times the paddle for the same distance as just shoo with the current. Here's the picture I want in your head. When you make peace with God's timing, it works. When you fight God's timing, this is the rest of your life. Paddle, paddle. If you force to get it, you have to fight to keep it the rest of your life. And for David, he had no idea in that moment how meaningful this was going to be for the rest of his reign as a king. If he started out, he got the throne by his own hand. He forced his way in. Then every season of his reign as king, he would be forced to fight again and again and again. And everything in his life would be him protecting and preserving what he took in his timing. Does that sound like a peaceful life? Nah. Sounds terrible. Sounds exhausting. Sounds like the kind of life you lay in bed at night and just your mind's spinning. You can't find peace. See, in 1 Peter, God sort of gives us the roadmap. He says, listen, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in what? Due time. See, 1 Peter's saying, listen, there's, there's only two ways up. One is you force it yourself, and then you're stuck keeping yourself there the rest of your life for all of time. No peace. The second way is to humble yourself under God's mighty hand and say, listen, God, I'll be faithful in the season I'm in. I will make peace with your timing. And when you're ready to lift me up, you're accepting responsibility to keep me up because you're the one who put me there in the first place. And listen, I want you to see how David making peace with God's timing played out. Eventually, King Saul and Jonathan did die in battle, not by David's hand. And David was anointed the king. He's finally got it. The problem is Saul's son, his name was Ishbosheth. Don't name your kids that, that's cruel. Ishbosheth. He said, Listen, my dad used to be king. I want to be king now. I know God anointed David, forget that. Ishbosheth, I spit, took part of the kingdom. David took part of the kingdom. And, and in 1 Samuel 3, it says, The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. Ishbosheth was trying to take the kingdom. I'm going to call him Ish from now on. Ish was trying to take the kingdom. But David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And listen, David had a right in this battle to do what 99% of kings do. When you take the throne, what do you do? You go in and wipe out everybody that ever stood against you. 
So you go in and you kill Saul's son, Saul's grandkids, the people that fought alongside Saul's son-ish, and you go, I'm wiping you off the planet because I don't want you to come back years later and try to take me out. I'm responsible to protect the throne, so I need to go in there and kill everybody. But the result of David, David making peace with God's timing is this. David was freed up to bring peace instead of more war. They could have been ensnared in a war for generation after generation after generation. But, but, but David was freed up to say, listen, some of his soldiers actually ended up killing Ishbosheth on the battlefield, and David rebuked them. You shouldn't have done that. That's not what I want this kingdom to be about. And, and, and David actually took it a step further, and he actually brought Mephibosheth, these poor kids' names, Saul's grandson. He brought Saul's grandson and said, you can live in the palace with me. That's unheard. You're supposed to kill that guy. That's a descendant of the last king. He has sort of a legal right to the throne. David, you better protect yourself. Why would you bring Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, into the very palace? You should wage war against that enemy. Here's what David knew. David had nothing to prove or protect. Listen to the freedom of this thinking. I've got nothing to prove or protect. The throne I'm sitting on, I didn't get to myself. God put me on the throne I am sitting on, so I'm free to offer peace even to my enemies. When you step into an, a peace agreement, God, I make peace with your timing. There is a freedom of going with the current that is so Here's what making peace with God's timing looks like. David knew there was nothing that Saul or Ishbosheth or his followers could do to stop what God wanted for his life. And there was nothing that David could do to get something that God didn't have for him. Peace with God's timing. Same with you and I. Listen, no person can take for you anything that God has given, and no person can get anything for himself that which God first does not give to him. There is a peaceful way of walking through life. And listen, it's not a, I wash my hands of it. I'm just sitting in the canoe. God, take me somewhere. No, you're still rowing. You're still working for what you, what you want in your life, but you're working with God's timing. You're not forcing things that would require you to fight to keep them the rest of your life. And oftentimes when you lack peace, it's frequently because you're forcing something and fighting God's timing. And now you are stuck in this perpetual rowing for forever and you'll be exhausted, not peaceful. And then when you come against people next to you, like David did with Ishbosheth, when their canoe gets a little too close to yours, you can't get the paddle in. What do you have to do? Fight them to get your paddling. Some losing ground. And now suddenly the people around you are the enemies. And David was freed up to not make the people around him his enemies because he had made peace with God's timing. The world says, pay back your enemies and you'll have peace. And God says, listen, if that's how you want to live, you'll be at war for forever. See, David made peace with God's timing. And here's the beauty of how it all played out. Chronicles 11, 3. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, he made a covenant with them before the Lord, and they anointed David king over all of Israel, as the Lord has promised. David knew God if you anointed me to be king, I'll trust your timing. And when he stepped onto the throne, he got to step on open-handed. I don't have to prove anything. 
I don't have to earn it the rest of my life because you put me here, God. So therefore, you're responsible to keep me here. And that's part of the root of peace. And for the next years, David ruled as king over a united kingdom of Israel. It was beautiful. He, he got to go and take ground for God's kingdom and expand the kingdom. He took the city of Jerusalem and made it the capital of Israel again, which is a big deal. It's why that's known as the city of David, because he recaptured it from the enemies. And life is going well. He's at the pinnacle of his leadership. It looked like he could do no wrong, and he seemed unthreatenable. And I wish David's story ended right here, because it, it doesn't. <laughs> And this is where that murder thing comes in. And this is where David's life starts to get complicated again. He had, he had made peace with God's timing. But as he grew older, he was faced with another choice. What are you going to make peace with, David? And we're going to see how the choice plays out. Is it more peaceful in your life or less peaceful in your life? And I'm just going to warn you, this, this is going to read more like a Jerry Springer show than the scriptures. See, on Thursdays, I typically, when I sort of have the teaching wrapped up, I, I go downstairs and sort of walk it through with my wife, Amber, and I did, and I'm walking through this part, and she's like, I'm going to stop you. I know this story, and I can't keep up with the characters. I, I, I know what you're trying to say, but I can't keep up with you, so you're going to think I'm kidding. I went up to my, my son's room, and I, I got some action figures to help explain the story, and so you're going to have to go with me. <sighs> I need, you to be, I need you to be cool about this, all right? So this is King David. By the time I'm done, you're going to thank me because this is Jerry Springer complicated here. So this is Captain America, yeah, but it's King David for today. And so King David, he's ruling in the kingdom. Life is good. And scripture tells us at the time when kings would go to war, David stayed back at the palace and he said, I'll just live peace. And if you know scripture, you know the story. Here's another name for you, Bathsheba. She was taking a bath on the roof. David saw her, lusted after her, slept with another man's wife. Then to cover up his sin, he ended up killing the other man's husband. And now our awesome King David has introduced sexual sin into his family. and said, hey, I guess we're cool with this now. David had some kids. And he had multiple wives. That's a whole different thing in the Old Testament. You don't want it. It's not worth it. So here's the deal. He had multiple wives. And so there was all these like stepbrother, stepsister sort of things inside of the, the king palace family thing. And so on, on one side, he had a son named Amnon. That's Loki. You can see the foreshadowing. This is Loki, if you know Marvel. And that's Amnon. And on this side, he has a son on this by another woman named Absalom. And that's Thor. He's angry. He's got a hammer. That's Absalom. I went, I, I went to seminary for this. Okay, and then Absalom has a sister named Tamar. All right? This is all David's family right now. There's more than that, but this is what's crucial to the story. So David had brought this sexual sin into the family and said, okay, I guess we're cool with this now. And so when Amnon starts to look at his half-sister Tamar and go, man, she's cute. So he comes over, and he goes, you're cute. This is weird. My daughter does this with Barbies 10 years ago. And she goes, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not interested. And here's where it gets bad. He said, I don't care if you're interested. And he forced himself upon his half-sister. And then he gets to go back over here like nothing happened, and she's left broken. 
And so her brother, what do you think he feels? Excuse me? What? What did, what did he do? He did what to my sister? He goes to his dad, David. He says, dad, we got to talk. And here's David's response. It's fascinating. He just says this simply. When King David heard of all this, he was furious. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon. He never talked to him. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. David was furious, but listen, he did nothing. Amnon got to stay at the table. Family dinner, come on in, come one, come all. Think about the anger in Absalom every time he saw his half-brother for what he did to his sister. And David did nothing about it. Parents, here's a side note. This is free. It's always harder to hold your kids accountable in the places you struggle with sin. See, David had already messed up his own sin, his own life sexually. And so when this plays out in his family, he's like, I don't have a leg to stand on. Listen, that's a lie from the pits of hell. So David let it stand. So Absalom said, okay, cool. You're not going to do anything, dad. So he marches over here and he kills, killed him dead, kills Amnon. He kills his own brother. David hears of it. He's heartbroken and saddened, lots of emotion, but he never dealt with Absalom's sin. He let Absalom stay in the family, stay in the palace. We're all good. So eventually Absalom's like, dude, my dad's weak sauce. He's not doing anything about anything. So what does Absalom do? He marches over to the kingdom and the palace and he overthrows his own father as king. David is now on the run, fleeing his own son. And eventually David's armies has to mount up and he has to go and attack his own son. David's off to the side saying, men, don't hurt him. But in the course of battle, David's men kill Absalom. And now David is left in the wreckage of all this. Amnon's real dead. Absalom's dead. His daughter is broken. And David's sitting here. 20,000 men were killed in battle. And David looks around his life and goes, I'm left in a mess. And you can trace all of this back to something David made peace with. Listen, David made peace with sin. It's a terrifying thought. You can track all of this fallout back to David making peace with his own sin with Bathsheba and making peace with his son's sin in Amnon and then making peace again with Absalom's sin and David's desire to keep peace in the family led him to making peace with sin and it cost him and his whole family dearly. See, when you make peace with sin, the battle always comes to your doorstep. Listen, Satan and sin are not fair fighters. When you make peace with sin, go, I want peace at all costs. So I'll just, that's okay. And you back up, sin chases you down. And I want, I just want, I want peace at all costs. I just want harmony. I want things to work. David just didn't want to mess up the family unit. Listen, can we all just get along? But when you make peace with sin, the battle follows you to your own doorstep. And up until this point in David's life, all the battles he fought were over in foreign lands. And he got to come home and have the peace of his kingdom. And now he finds himself with a war in his own kingdom, in his own home. And maybe, just maybe, if you were to track the lack of peace in your life back, you might be able to track it back to a place where you made peace with sin. Or over time, you just got accustomed to it. And you're like, that's okay. And that little sin right there, that's okay. 
and slowly it starts to build. Listen, one of the most dangerous things to happen in Christianity is that you misunderstand what it means to bring the peace of God to the world. You make peace with people, not their sin. I can make peace with you as a person, but I can't, I can't agree on the things that, you, the way that you live your life, the priorities that you lay out in your life, how you view sexuality, how you make decisions, how you spend your money. I, I, I can't make peace with that, but I can make peace with you. And I hear people say all the time, listen, but Jesus hung out with sinners. Yes, he did. But by the time they were done hanging out with him, they had laid down their sin and become different people. See, Jesus didn't hang out with sinners to make peace with their sin. In fact, Jesus left heaven and came to earth to make war with sin and death. And what we celebrated last weekend was that Jesus defeated sin and death and Satan. And now his church is making peace with the thing he came to battle against. It's a very dangerous thing when you make peace with sin. And oftentimes the places that you lack peace, not always, but oftentimes the, pe- the places where you lack peace can be traced back to a place where you made peace with sin. See, maybe you're not at peace spiritually. I'm just wrestling. Well, maybe you made peace with not gathering weekly with believers and church is not a priority and your daily time with God is not a priority and you made peace with secret indulgences, which are now addictions, and you just sort of made peace with those things. Well, no wonder you don't have peace spiritually. You make peace with sin. When you make peace with sin, the battle comes to your doorstep. You're going to live in perpetual battle. See, maybe you, you, you're not at peace in your marriage, and you're just, man, I want the peace in our marriage we used to have. Okay. You made peace with flirting with the girl or the guy in your office. You made peace with lust and pornography. You made peace with self being self-serving and being about yourself all the time. Well, of course you can make peace with those things. You're not going to be at peace in your marriage. You're, you're not at peace financially. Man, I just the numbers and the money. and Not always, but a lot of times you can track it back. You made peace with living above your means. You made peace with not giving God the first 10%. You made peace with not saving for the future. You abandoned God's principles for money. When you make peace with sin, it always brings the battle to your doorstep. You're not at peace at work. Maybe you made peace with not serving your boss like God was really your boss and you got lazy, you don't give your best, you have a bad attitude, you gossip at the office and of course you're going, I don't know if I'm going to keep this job. Well, because you made peace with sin and the battle is going to come to your doorstep. Romans 12.1 says, listen, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be renewed. We don't live this life like the world does. And the tension is, I have to make peace with people, but I don't have to make peace with their sin. And King David learned that the hard way. He could have loved his son and dealt with the sin. And the fallout, I believe, would have stopped right there. But he chose peace at all costs. And whenever you choose peace at all costs, you always lose peace, not gain it. Romans 5, 1 to 2 says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Peace with God means that we don't make peace with sin, Satan, his enemies. And this is a subtle thing. You don't sign a formal peace agreement. I make peace with indulging this or that. No, 
but you slowly let it live in your home and sin doesn't stop growing. It's a dangerous thing. But the good news for David and the good news for us, after all this, David is still remembered after, as a man after God's own heart. Isn't that fascinating? How is, how is this guy a man after God's own heart? Because we serve a God who restores and forgives. And God honors current obedience over past mistakes. Thank you, God. God honors current obedience over past mistakes. And we know that David learned his lesson because in 1 Kings 2, 2-4, David's about to die. God allowed him to anoint his son Solomon to be the next king. And here's the advice on his deathbed he gives to his son. I'm about to go the way of the earth. I'm about to die. So be strong and act like a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and his commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. He's saying, son, don't make my mistake. Do not make peace with sin. It will cost you. Son, if you want to lead this kingdom and have peace, Gotta make peace with God's timing. You can't make peace with sin because sin is always gonna bring the battle to your doorstep. See, at the end of his life, most theologians believe that the time that David wrote Psalm 23 was this time when Absalom overthrew the kingdom and David was not the king. And he had fleed and ran off so he wasn't killed by his own son. He's still sitting in the consequences of his sin and his mess. And he pens these words in Psalm 23. Like speaking to his soul. It's, it's as if he finally realized from the time of being a shepherd boy as a little kid to now I'm king and I've done all these great things. And now that he sees how his life plays out, it's like he's saying, listen, I am simply a sheep in need of the peace that only my shepherd can give. I've accomplished all these great things and yet I'm out in, in the wilderness running away from my own son. I cannot bring about peace myself. I've tried peace at all costs and it still brought more battle. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've tried peace at all costs. And the battle's still at your doorstep. Maybe you're paddling as hard as you can upstream. And you're going, God, I just, I can't stop because I'll lose ground. And God's going, listen, you're fighting my timing in your life. You're never going to have peace. See, so I want to read Psalm 23 over you with some thoughts. Here's the words of that guy, David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake, saying, God, I don't need to paddle upstream. I don't need to force myself to quiet waters. I trust your timing to guide me. Trust you, God. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. In other words, I will not make peace with sin and evil things. Even in the darkest of valleys, even in the most difficult of times, I trust you to guide me through it. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God, people aren't my enemy. I trust you to fight for me so I can make peace with the people around me because I trust you and your timing. God, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, David didn't just find peace one day and write this beautiful psalm. It wasn't like a eureka moment. He didn't stub his toe and go, oh, there's some peace. No. Peace was formed over a lifetime. And you have choices to make that will either bring you more peace or less peace. And we like to think of peace as an external thing, like I need to go find it and my life will have peace. See, let me ask you the question we started with. How do you find peace? You don't find it. You form peace by what you choose to make peace with. Listen, make peace with God's timing and don't make peace with sin. And over time, if your life was written and we could read the whole of it, you'd look back and you could trace back. I made peace with God's timing here and oh, I'd have to paddle against the current. And man, I made peace with sin there and there are consequences. But God honors current obedience over past mistakes. So today, maybe God got you here for this conversation. And the pastors are gonna step up across the campuses, 12 Stone Home. But maybe you need to wrestle down one of those two things. Maybe there's something that you have striven, strove for. (laughs) Maybe there's something you're trying to grab. (laughs) Maybe you're single and you're trying to force a dating relationship and you feel the lack of peace because you're paddling against the current. Maybe you you want the next thing in your financial plan, your house, your car, the thing you want, and you just feel the weight paddling against God's timing and maybe God's inviting you to just turn it around and go, God, I trust your timing. And you'll experience the peace of paddling God's timing. It's a beautiful thing. Where are you not making peace with God's timing? For many of us, maybe you need a moment of confession before God. If you're honest, some of the places you lay up at night and lack peace can be tracked all the way back to a place that you subtly made peace with sin somewhere. You got a little private thing you've made peace with. That's okay for me, like David did. Listen, Bathsheba, I'll cover it up. I'll get past it, whatever. That's okay for me. And you can track back the fallout of David's life to that place. And maybe God brought you here today. Say, listen, I want you to have the peace that only I can bring, but you can't make peace with sin. And God will forgive and restore if you will confess and repent. So pastors, would you step up? Would you lead this moment of prayer over us today? Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.